Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. Morning. Happy Sabbath. Today we'll be reading from Romans 12, verse 16. It says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. May the Lord bless these words. All right, good morning, everyone. And so today I'm going to be talking about uh, paradoxes. So one of the things that I have learned, you know, it's when you, when you get in your 20s, I don't know if any of you had this experience, where you get to your 20s and then you look back at your teen years and you go, huh, I'm not a dumb teenager anymore. Boy, I, I thought I knew everything. Now I'm, now I'm 20. Now I know something about the world. Um, and then when you turn 30, you have that experience again <laughs> and you look back at your twenties and you go, Oh my gosh, there are so many things that I really believed that were this way and it turned out I was completely wrong about them. So the, you know, one of the things that I was, was wrong about, um, was, uh, that things are simple. I remember, you know, when you're young, you think everything is black and white. It's very simple, but it turns out you know, things are way more complicated, you know, and there's, a, there's a lot of these, these kind of paradoxes in the Bible, you know, like, uh, for the Trinity, for example, you know, how is, how is Jesus fully God and fully man? These are, these are like contradictory. It's like, if it's, it's very complicated to explain a lot. It's the funny thing is when people tell you, Oh, it's, it's simple. The Trinity is simple. It's like, okay, <laughs> sure. You know, but, but somehow it, both of those ideas have to be true. If, if Jesus isn't fully man, he can't really relate to us. And if he's not fully God, then how does he have power over the devil and over sin? So it's like both of those somehow have to be true. And the same thing with, with um, you know, God's foreknowledge. You know, God knows everything that we're going to do. And yet we still have a choice to make. And so... I don't know how both of those are true, but we have to kind of accept them as as uh, as truth. So, um, so I'll be talking about kind of the, the paradox of meekness and power for men, uh, especially. But um, the, I know that I'm going to be talking a lot about men, but I think women have a role to play in how men are raised as well. Um, so, if you be patient, um, patient with me. Um, I wanted to, you know, talk about that. There's a lot of confusing messages that we get uh, about what it means to be a man today. Uh, and it's something that Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine: take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest under your souls. So Jesus was God and he said during his arrest in Matthew 26, 53, that he's capable of calling down a legion of angels to command and to rescue him. But somehow he's also a man and he describes himself as meek and lowly. So that's that's very like opposite ideas that you're like powerful enough to call down legions of angels, but then you're also meek and lowly. Like you wouldn't think about somebody who has the power to command angels as like meek and lowly. So I wanted to uh, uh, say that there's a there's a Christian woman from Australia. She has a blog. Her name is Margaret Mosco, and she did a bunch of research on the word meek, and I read a lot about it. Uh, she quoted this guy named uh, Xenophon uh, from ancient Greece. 
And this, because the thing is like, we, we have this, this, we have the text of the Bible and we have these words that are used in the Bible and how are those words used elsewhere at the same time? So there's this guy that's writing all this stuff about horses, which is kind of funny. You know, it's like a guidebook. You know, you, you don't think about people in ancient Greece, like writing a guidebook of like step one for training a horse. And this is what you could do to train a horse. And so they use that word that, that a word that's related to that word meekness. Um, so this is the guy, his name is Xenophon uh, on horsemanship. Accordingly, at the, at the moment of mounting, the rider should take care uh, to worry the horse as little as possible. And when he is mounted, he should let him stand still longer than is otherwise usual. And then direct him to go by the most gentle aids. And that word most gentle is that word meek. Um, or it's related to that word meek. Then let him begin at a very slow pace and increase the speed with the same gentle help so that the horse will not be aware of the transition to a quicker motion. Another thing he said is uh, if, you, if you want to correct a spirited horse when he's going too fast, do not pull him suddenly, but quietly check him with a bit, soothing him. And that word soothing is a word about being meek and being gentle. It should also be known that, uh, this is another thing he said about horses. It should also be known that a horse can be taught to be calm by a chirp with the lips uh, uh, and to be roused by a cluck with the tongue. And if from the first you use it, the cluck aids him to be calm. And that word calm is, again, that, that word for meek. Uh, and with the chirp aids to rouse him, the horse will learn to rouse himself at the chirp and to calm down. So this word was used to s signify the uh, the taming of animals. It, and if an animal was was obedient and followed and, and was responsive to the rider, they called it meek. Um, and then there was also this word uh, used about soldiers. Uh, Cyrus took good... So this is uh, him speaking about, about um, a commander. Cyrus also took care that s soldiers should never come to luncheon or dinner unless they had a sweat. Uh, for he would get them into a sweat by taking them out hunting, or he would contrive such sports as would, would make them sweat. Or again, if he happened to have some business or otherwise to attend to, he so conducted it so that they should not come back without having had a sweat. This is good advice for parenting too. Uh, you got to wear them out. You got to wear your kids out. Uh, for this to be considered conducive to their enjoying their meals, to their health, and to their being able to endure hardships, he thought that hardships conducted to their being more reasonable toward one another. Uh, and that word more reasonable is related to that word meek. More reasonable, more calm. You've had a sweat. You get, <laughs> you're calm when you've had a sweat uh, towards one another. At any rate, those who are conscious that they have been well-drilled are certainly more courageous in the face of the enemy. And so they, that they will, uh, even horses that work together stand more quietly together. So, and that word more quietly is that, that word related to me. So it's used a lot in the, it's used a lot in the Bible. So, uh, but that idea that it's being tamed. So it's a, again, kind of a paradox that you're tamed, but you're powerful. It's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a weird mix. Um, so going back to, you know, what does it mean to be a man? You know, I think this is a confusing time to be a man. And there's a lot of things about traditional masculinity uh, that is regarded in our pop culture as being toxic. If men are, if men are um, assertive or aggressive, it's kind of a thin line between assertive and aggressive. But, um, or they say that men don't cry. Um, men uh, must restrain and control their emotions. And today, a lot of people think, well, that sounds kind of antiquated. 
Um, you know, that, that why can't men just show their emotions? I, I hear a lot of people ask that. And yet this is another paradox because yeah, men should be able to express their emotions, but a man who can't control his emotions is a dangerous man. And anybody that's had to wrangle a kid who's flying off the handle, um, or especially, you know, th that was another book I, I read that said, uh, the future is now, it's about parenting. The future is now, whatever your kid is doing, add 10 years or 20 years to that, that's what they're going to be doing as an adult. So if you've got a kid that can't control their emotions and is throwing a fit, add 20 years to that and they're gonna be doing that with a police officer someday. Um, so if you don't believe me, you can talk to a friend, somebody in law enforcement. They've had to handle plenty of adult temper tantrums. Um, so men are told to be uh, vulnerable. They should share their feelings, but then when a man complains about the wrong things, such as uh, women rejecting him, he's often laughed at and it's, it's seen as not a very serious concern. Um, but th this can get ugly quick. I read an article about uh, a man that he was a shooter and he killed six people for revenge because women were rejecting him. Uh, and and he was also taking out revenge against the men who got accepted. It's, a, it's kind of a Cain and Abel story. Almost every one of these shooters is a story of Cain and Abel. It's like one person's getting accepted and the other person's resentful about that and their response is to kill that person. Um, so the, the saddest part is that he posted videos of himself plotting the shooting on YouTube and it even caused his parents to call the police, but the police didn't take the video seriously and it looks from all accounts that they didn't even watch them. And as I was reading, I was reading the article and I was like, I, I couldn't help but, but watch his videos. I was like, what? Why? What would he have said, and why didn't the police listen? If the mom and dad saw this and got got worried, um, it was really disturbing. Uh, like it still it still sticks in my head some of the stuff that I that I saw there. He told a lot of stories about obnoxious men, and he was uh, and he saw that women would respond favorably to these obnoxious men, and then he was angry that women rejected him, and he called himself the the supreme gentleman. That was the weirdest the weirdest part of it. Is he he really he, he made so many references to that. Well, I'm the nicest person. I'm so nice. I'm, you know, I never make people uncomfortable. I'm not like these obnoxious people. And so apparently like he stewed over this for years and he made a secret deal with the women of the world. It's, 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 it's nuts when you look into it that he, he was going to go out to a party and he was going to uh, give women one last chance to recognize how much of a supreme gentleman he was and uh, while he was there, he just, he drank a lot and then he just sat by the side and waited for people to come to him and no one came to him. And so then he went up on the balcony and there were some, uh, again, more of these obnoxious men and the ladies seemed to be having a good time talking to him. And so he tried to uh, shove one of the women off the balcony and a bunch of the men got together and said no and then beat him up and he had to limp home and he realized when he got home that he had a pair of sunglasses uh, and they were the, it was a pair of sunglasses that his mom bought him. And he had a lot of really wonderful things to say about his mom. He like loved his mom, so, but it's, it's, it's so weird that he was so anti-women at the same time. So then he goes back to the party to get his sunglasses and not only doesn't find them, but the same guys beat him up again and mock him and send him, send him home. And that's when he begins plotting his revenge. And so as I, 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 as I was listening to this guy's story, and I'm listening to the, you know, it's, it really is the Cain and Abel story again, this idea about resentment 
being resentful and being bitter uh, about about your life and the way that it turns out. And I was reading people criticizing him, and they were. It, it's 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 striking. There were two things that struck me. One was just how how much of a horrible plan it was to stand at the side and just expect women to magically see you and and two how many times he referred to himself as a, as a gentleman and how nice he was so it's crazy how a person that can pride themselves on being so nice can end up being a killer um we are the easiest person to deceive the easiest person to deceive is ourselves. um so a lot of people they criticized his attitude they said oh he's entitled he thinks you know the uh, people that uh, you know, women must must respond to him, and women must like him. And I, when I was listening to it, I I couldn't help but wonder where did he get such an idea that being harmless and being off to the side and never risking anything would make people drawn to him. It's such a strange idea that you could that you could do that. And I remember people describing describing what he was doing as like toxic masculinity. And I remember thinking there's nothing masculine about what he's doing. There's like a traditional, the traditional masculine idea, the process whereby a, a, a man finds a wife is first he has to make himself into something. He has to work, work on apprenticing into some kind of trade. He has to become something. And then he has to court a woman and propose marriage and, put himself out there. So he has to approach a, a lady and say, hey, I like you. You know, that's that's the traditional route. Nowhere in history has it been described like the manliest thing to do is to stand off to the side and wait passively for people to come to you. Um, even in, even in hyper-masculine cultures like the Middle East, where there's arranged marriage, a woman can even reject a man's offer of marriage. I had a student, this is a true story, it's really fascinating. Uh, he was friends with a girl that lived next door and they were kids and they'd play together, they'd play soccer together and and he he said he fell in love at the age of nine. And he said he just, he loved this girl but then when they reach puberty, they separate them. They're not allowed to be, they're not allowed to be together. Um, and so he never saw her again and he got a job working in a bank in a faraway city and uh, he heard some gossip that she had rejected three men's offer of marriage. So three families had approached her family and said, hey, my son would like to marry your daughter. And she said, no thanks. And so when he heard the number three, he got very panicked. He said, because he was telling me that he said, in my culture, once you've said no three times, now the family gets worried because they think, oh no, she's going to start a reputation that you know we have a little princess and you know no man is good enough for our, for our princess. And then we might not get any offers. You know, maybe she'll never get married. So, so as soon as he heard that, he thought, "Oh no, what if she's holding out for me?" And he he kind of believed in it. It's a, it's a beautiful story. It makes me think about the work of Jesus to woo us and stuff. So immediately he goes to his family and uh, out of nowhere, and he tells his mom and dad, "Mom and dad, I want to get married. You know, uh, see if you can set something up with with that family." And the mom and dad are like, "What? Are you, what? You haven't even talked about this. This is coming out of nowhere." He's like, oh, I, I need this done quickly. You know, hurry up and, and, and arrange for a meeting because they're allowed to meet for like five minutes before they decide if they're going to get married or not. 
And uh, so then he went and he actually met with her. And when they met in private, she said, I've been waiting for you. Uh, and that she was waiting that whole time and that she was turning down all these men. And it's such a beautiful story. And it, it made me think about Jesus and, and how Jesus, he came to earth and he opened himself up to rejection. Because, you, you know, you think about that. He, he's got gossip that, okay, maybe she's holding out for me. He's got this idea in his head, but he doesn't know for sure. It's not like you, over there, you can't just talk with the opposite sex, you know, over the phone. That would be even scandalous doing that over the phone. Um, so, so he had to, he had to, you know, go to his father and, you know, involve his family and, and make it, make an offer of marriage. And he didn't know prior to that, if he was going to be rejected, you know, and that, that reminds me of Jesus, that Jesus he didn't know if he was going to get rejected. He didn't know if the, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a man, he didn't know that, that, um, that, the, that this was always going to work out. And, you know, God took that risk with us. He took the risk with us to, um, to put himself out there. And that's actually one of the first things, one of the first things about becoming a man is opening yourself up to rejection. It reminds me, there was a um, funny story that was told by uh, Adam Sandler, and he was a young comedian. He said, uh, he saw a girl that he liked, and he said, boy, I wish I could ask her out, but I don't know how to, I don't know what to say. And his friend's like, well, just ask her out. Well, the worst she can say is no. And so he went and asked her out, and she said, get away from me, you loser. Um, and so then he's like, ah, you kind of broke the rules there. Um, so, the, but that's that's kind of... We're made in God's image. Jesus opened himself up to rejection. We have to open ourselves up to rejection. We have to be brave. Um, and there's something I don't I don't know what is going on in our generation uh, that our children are not making themselves into something, and they're not they're not hitting these milestones. It's like they believe they don't believe in themselves, and I I don't know why. Like I I know and I. I'm kind of glad that I don't know a lot of you because I don't know like what you do with your kids. So this is, uh, if you feel judged, I'm not judging you. Just don't tell me about it. Um, but like I know so many people, their adult children don't have driver's licenses. And you probably know people like this, yeah? It's like, what is going on there? Why don't today's youth want to drive? It blows my mind. I still can't. I remember, you know, when I went to a driver's test, I thought, ah, I'm going to be able to get a car. I'm not going to have to wait for mom to pick me up from, you know, from track and, and field practice. I'll finally be able to be independent. Um, and there could be a lot of reasons why this, and I think it, it's a, a thing that's affecting, it's affecting the church. It's affecting the way we raise our children. And that um, in some ways, it's like we, we want our children to stay as children. That maybe, oh, if they can just stay as children, then, uh, then, you know, they'll always be my little baby. But the the fact is that as they grow up, the, that baby is gone. The baby isn't there anymore. And, and just like, uh, uh, you know, just like it says in, in Proverbs thirteen twenty four, he that spares the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. So that it it's a loving thing as a parent to be like, hey, make something of yourself. You can't just be a bum and not drive. Um and there, there might also be, yeah, that people just don't want them to grow up. It's like what it says in Hebrews 5, uh, verse 12, um, if you want to go there. Uh, for, when, uh, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, 
and not of strong meat. Verse 13, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Verse 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have had their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a time for milk and then there's a time for meat. There's a time for children to grow up. And then we have to give them the opportunity to fail. Um, probably the most courageous thing that a mother can do is let her child face the world to be rejected and crushed by it. And, you know, it's like, look at the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think she's a great example for all mothers that we, we can't protect our children forever. She, she let her son out into the world to be crushed by it. Um, and, and we would not hear, we would not have heard the message if, if Mary had been like, oh, no, Jesus, you're just going to just go ahead, stay at home. You don't need to get a job. I'll pay all your bills, Jesus. I'll make sure that you don't have to grow up. Um, but, you know, speaking of that, I, I want to tell a story there was um, about that, about like letting your children face adversity. I remember my children were all in uh, Taekwondo. And uh, I don't know if I've told this story here before, but uh, I, was, I was excited because they'd gotten to the point where the belt they had, they were allowed to be in a sparring match, okay? And they wear headgear and shin, shin guards and all that kind of stuff. But I was excited. Oh, they're finally going to be able to fight and... I never learned to fight, so when I went to school, I just got bullied and you know, beaten up and stuff. That's not good. It was like, oh, my kids will be able to defend themselves. But my kids were not excited about it. They were like, no, Daddy, I don't want to do that. That's going to be hard. I, I don't want to get kicked in the face. What if they kick me? What if they kick me? And I was like, you guys will be fine. You know, you're, you're wearing mouth guards, and I'm, I'm prepping the mouth guards. And if you've ever had to prep a mouth guard, you're boiling water. And, you know, you dunk, you dunk it in, you get it soft, and then you bite into it. So I'm, I'm prepping that, and meanwhile, the kids are like, you know, ah, no, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. And they went in the other room, and their mom uh, came in the kitchen with me, talked with me secretly, and she said, you know, ah, oh, Bill, I don't know, I mean, they don't really want to do that, and I mean, that's, they feel, kind of, they, they're they a little scared, and I, I don't know if they should do that, and, and we shouldn't make them do it. And I was like, yeah, I know, but the, like, when are they going to learn? Do we want them to learn how to fight in a safe environment, or do we want them to learn to fight when they first get bullied around and, and pushed around or whatever. I think it'll be good for them. They need to be pushed. And, and then, so she's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll support you. But she, I could tell she was on the fence. She did not, she did not really want to see her babies fight. And, um, anyway, so I'm making the, I'm making the mouth guard and the, the troops come in again and they go, ah, we don't want to do this. You know, we don't want to do this. Put that mouth guard away. We don't want to do this. It's going to be bad. Ah, you know, I don't want to get kicked in the head. And I'm like, Hey guys, be quiet about that. And I'm, I'm, um, uh, I'm uh, putting the mouth guard in and I accidentally hit the handle and then a waterfall of boiling water fell onto my socked foot. I had a sock on my foot and my foot just starts cooking. And I'm like screaming and then also Davey was a little guy. He was like three. Some of the water had splashed on him. So he's like this. He's like, ah! And I'm freaking out because I don't know like how much water and, you know, his hands are like glued to his face. He won't, I'm, I had to like pry his arms away. And like, okay, he only got a couple flex. He's fine. Meanwhile, my oh, my foot's cooking, you know. So then I, I had to run and you know peel off my sock, and I've got burns, really bad burns. Like it's like eight inches across my foot, and uh, you know I was in so much pain. And we, you know, we went online, and we read uh, when should you go into the the emergency room or urgent care for a burn, 
and they said, you know, anything more than like, I think four inches of, of skin area, you should go in or something like that. Um, so I was like, aha, we're not gonna be able to go to sparring today. I need to get into the doctor. And as soon as I said that, my kids go, yippee! And they start like dancing. They start dancing and cheering. And uh, <laughs> meanwhile, I'm just in so much pain. I can't think, you know, I'm just like sitting there with my foot in a bucket of water. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is miserable. And um, anyway, uh, so uh, their mother comes in from the other room and she looks at them and she says, how dare you celebrate the fact that your father burned his foot and is in an intense amount of pain right now. I wasn't totally on board with you going to sparring, but now you're definitely going. <laughs> and they were, they were like, <laughs> they suddenly became really sad. <laughs> they got really upset. So I got dropped off at the doctor. She took him to, to sparring and uh, they got there and, uh, you know, then she dropped him off there and then she took, that's what it was. Yeah, she dropped him off there and then took me there and told him, hey, get, get suited up and then I'll be back. And then she said when she got back, they were, <laughs> they were just sitting there by the side, no gear on or anything. He said, oh, well, uh, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't, didn't know if it would be a good time to put the gear on. She's like, get the gear on. And I remember her telling me that she had to have them put the gear on in the other room. And it was the hardest thing for her to do as a mother was, you know, putting the kind of armor on them and getting ready to send them out. And they were crying, you know, and she had to ignore their tears and, you know, put the stuff on them. And, um, and it was, it was crazy because my son actually, he won his first match, um, which was like really, really cool. And, um, but it, I think that that shows kind of the, I think like, like I said, the the most heroic thing a mother can do is to, is to send their kid out. Uh, but yet we have this world where we're keeping children so safe and it's not, it's not good for them. It's not good for them. It's kind of, and I think, I think sometimes it might be because uh, in divorced households, you can get away with more. I mean, I got away with terrible things uh, because my mom and dad were, were separated. I'll tell you one of them. Uh, I asked my mom to buy a girl flowers for money to buy flowers. Isn't that pathetic? Uh, like I look back on that. I'm like, if my mom and dad were together, there's no way I'm not a gambling man, but there's no way my dad would have allowed me to borrow money to buy a girl flowers. He would have told me get a job. And I knew that my dad probably would have said that. That's why I would like a coward. I just went around behind behind and did that. And, you know, if you think that sounds too harsh and maybe, maybe there's a lady in here who's like, oh, but that's a nice thing. He's, you know, I'd love to help my son with that. It, just think if your husband got, had to, had to get, ask his mother-in-law for money to pay for your flowers. It's gross. Um, but anyway, it is. It's gross. Uh, so anyway, so mothers want to protect their children. And this is a good instinct when you have a helpless baby. But like we said, that baby's gone. And yet through some kind of, some kind of voodoo, of like, don't give them the license. Ah, the baby stays. Ah, I still have the baby. And the best part is that babies can't go away and get married. You know, they'll always be my baby. Um, so getting back to this meekness thing, there, there's, a, there's a difference between, you know, between being meek and being weak. Um, and, you know, so God wants us to be meek and I think that gets emphasized a lot, but God also wants us to be powerful. You know, he said, go out in the world and subdue it. He said, you know, subdue the, uh, the, 
subdue the earth. Um, in the scripture reading in Romans twelve sixteen, it says, uh, be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. But that, that word condescend means enjoy the company of. Uh, enjoy the company of humble people. Um, so that word meek, it, it's, it's again, it's to, describe, it's to describe an animal that's been tamed. So it is, it is an animal, but then it's been tamed and trained to be responsive to its rider. And that's not, you know, being too afraid to go out and put yourself out there is not a virtue. We shouldn't confuse meekness with weakness. An inability to dare is not meekness. Fear and timidity and the inability to put yourself out there is not meekness. So I'm, I'm hoping, and I'm going to close with this, I'm hoping that we can raise a gener generation of men to be like Jesus. Um, that we need men who are willing to risk being crushed by the world. And if, if you're raising a son and you're not doing that, then you are, you are raising the kind of man you are going to hate. A weak man who cannot, who cannot fight, who cannot put himself out there, who can't make, make, uh, who can't make a decision to, to uh, conquer the, the obstacles that are in, in his life. It's one, like one of my favorite authors said, um, dragons can breathe fire and kill you, but the dragon also has gold. And you don't get gold without the dragon. So I want to challenge you uh, that um, there might be challenges that frighten you. And I, I want to challenge you that don't hide behind inaction and say that you're being like Jesus by doing nothing. That, oh, well, I'm being like Jesus. I'm being meek. There might be some challenges in your life that are frightening and scary. And maybe that's what you need to go out and do. Maybe that's what you need to go out and face. Um, what's the alternative? You fade into obscurity and no one remembers who you are. That sounds a whole lot better than being burned alive and eaten by a dragon. But that isn't what Jesus did. He took on the largest burden he could bear. And even non-believers today recognize the separation of time by the birth of Jesus, you know, with AD and BC, they try to say, Oh, we're going to use CE, the common era and before the common era. But well, what does that refer to? Oh, the birth of Jesus. <laughs> Oops. Um, <laughs> gotcha. Uh, so Jesus became a dividing point in history and you are made in his image to do the same thing. So I want to challenge you go forth and conquer and may the Lord bless and keep us. Thank you. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.